to the Clemson podcast, everyone. I'm your host, Nick, and excited to continue our previous series with writers from Shaking the Southland. Tonight, we are joined by Matt, also known as DBBM. He does weekly previews and recaps of the film and generally keeps up with offensive scheme, offensive lines, opponents' offensive scheme over at Shaking the Southland. Matt, welcome back to the podcast. Hey, it's a pleasure to be back. How you doing? Good, man. Um, the slow offseason continues to march toward football. Uh, we're close. We almost made it. Um, yeah. It, kind of a different feels- different feeling this year than last year, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. It feels like years are uh, – well, last year felt like uh, less an offseason and more just like a whole new reality. Sort of like yeah, I was there- less worried about how Clemson was going to do than would we finish the season. This year I feel fairly certain we're going to power through. Agreed. And – there's just so many externalities to last season going in and even through the season that it's a little bit more of a focus on football this time, which is cool. Um, I think yeah, also exactly. like last, last season was a bit of a grind too, just with the product on the field and with this team. And um, I think that kind of brings us to the offensive line. Cause I think that was part of, you know, part of all that went into that and how the season ended, wrapped up for the tigers. So um, I mean, yeah, knowing you just... say, yeah, go ahead. Last year, the offensive line, um, and I mean really just three spots along the offensive line, we had pretty great tackle play. Uh, you know, Carmen was a draft pick for a reason, a blue chip recruit for a reason. McFadden sure as hell was holding it down at right tackle. He's built a little weird to be a, le- a left tackle. He's a little short, um, kind of makes up for it with super long arms and quickness, but uh you know, last year, the problem that was endemic was we just did not have good play at guard, center, and guard, in particular in the run game, just over and over and over again. And that's frustrating yeah. in a system such as Clemson, where so much of the offense is dedicated to the idea, honestly, an idea that was most hot like five, six, maybe seven years ago at this point, that because, uh, I mean, this was all the rage my tail end of high school, and that was five years ago at this point, is this idea that you run the ball up the middle. You do that usually with inside zone, power, counter, maybe a little bit of ISO, but really you accomplish that with not that many schemes, and you use running the ball up the middle to force defenses to either bring safeties into the box or to sort of crunch into the box and then try to spread out to account for the pass. And you use the uh, pass to attack teams outside and deep. 
And if everything is working, you're able to attack the entire field without actually having to teach that much of an offense. Like throwing the ball over the middle of the field is significantly harder than throwing the ball outside. There's more stuff you can do to disguise in the middle of the field. There's more stuff you have to account for in the middle of the field. There's just, um, it's harder than outside where you get a lot more two on two with three on two type coverages. And for Clemson fans that, I mean, that evolution or what we've seen, I mean, how many, how many times you read or hear Clemson fans talk about like, why can't we get the tight end game over the middle or the slot? And really that was brought over by Chad Morris, right. In terms of his background. And I know people throw out there like other, other schemes across college football. Um, but Chad Morris has been gone, but really that philosophy has held for us. Offensively, well, absolutely. Right? It's, um, I mean, not that we have not enjoyed some incredible coaching. It's just um, Clemson runs a college-ass offense. It, uh, it has not really evolved much beyond that. I would say it's less pro-style than Ohio State. I would say it's less pro-style than Oklahoma. I would say it's less pro-style than even Alabama at this point. It just is what it is. We get a lot done with a pretty sparse playbook with really good execution and talent. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like the but we're getting to is for inside zone to be effective, you've got to be able to rely on between the tackles running to at least hold up, you know, in matchups against the effective defensive front. And it seems like that has not been the case since I guess the days like Mitch Hyatt, and I know he's on the outside, but um, it, the last couple of years we've been wanting in that area. Would yeah. You, and would um, that be right. Yeah, I would agree with that. And there's definitely a case of, um, well, you can be class uh, half empty or glass half full about this. There's some evidence and it logically follows if you can only get so many hours a week and focus on so many things that offensive lines can only be elite at either pass blocking or run blocking. And to Clemson's offensive lines credit, we've had pretty consistently great pass blocking offensive lines. So yeah. And, and with, with, with where I think if, you know, the, sort of the, the, the untrained eye is seeing just this evolution toward the passing game in college football. So like, if you do need to pick your poison, you know, keeping a guy like Trevor Lawrence upright, and able to lock in on receivers. Um, that's important. That's critical for winning championships and winning games, being able to like keep your team in it. Um, if the defense takes a step back, come back as needed. Um, but yeah, when you, that can work against like Notre Dame or um, it, Clemson had to get, get it done in different ways where we couldn't rely on the pass against Ohio state two years ago, but um I think against like super elite competition, you do need to find a way over the course of a season to develop your, your offensive line to also be efficient, sufficient in run blocking too, to be a championship caliber team. Absolutely. And um, yeah, absolutely. There's also a little bit of evidence that um, avoiding sacks is more about quarterback play than offensive line play, which would be the glass half empty read of the last few years. Right. So it's because Trevor and Deshaun had like that innate ability to escape and avoid that, that outcome and less about Jackson Carmen kept guys out of the backfield basically. Yeah, exactly. Or the, or, you know, through the, through the middle part of the O-line. 
Yeah, I mean, there is some room for optimism. Will Putnam was a legitimately excellent pass blocking guard. He was not a great run blocking guard. So there are elements of this um, just being what it is, like in terms of the personnel. But there is also an element of just wondering what's up here. Yeah, and um, I mean, there's there's hope there that that's known, that's identified. Like, can another year of continuity here help them take a step forward? Can he develop in that area? Like, no one's going to know till we lace him up or you know see the ball snapped. But um, you know, there is hope with continuity, and he was definitely a touted recruit coming in. So yeah, kind of remains to be seen. But I think you know maybe to take a, a step back with this offensive line coming into the season, um, do get a good amount of returning production back. Um, obviously it was mostly starters getting snaps last year. Rotations were a little bit shallow, a very young offensive line a year ago. I know there were, there were a couple of years of really strong recruiting classes coming in, but those guys were basically true freshmen and those guys typically don't see the field. So, um, I guess like I mean, just to we, Clemson with very, very elite recruits has been able to get true freshman linemen on the field. It's happened with Hyatt. It, um, it happened with Carmen. Uh, it actually happened with Walker parks, the presumptive starting right tackle last year. Um, in so far, like they're willing and able to do it. It's just, um, it's hard to do it and get a quality quality start. Uh, starter out of the process yeah like they can get meaningful snaps and lay a good foundation for future seasons which in the case of parks like that 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 playing time last year will hopefully help coming in this year um yeah exactly he was literally a freshman all-american you know for at least espn right so uh just to do the kind of the roll call here um jordan mcfadden moves over to the left tackle position you kind of mentioned Mm -hmm. Um, his stature, but you know, on award lists coming into the year, oh, um, as you wrote about, extraordinarily you know, well, and he's on preseason All American list for a reason. He, um, if you've ever watched basketball, he sort of has the Draymond thing where he is undersized, but his arms are just freakishly long. Yep, and he's always in good position, just so super a- mobile and can close out. And he has very, very, very good positioning, yeah. It's a pretty, I mean, pretty high praise knowing like how excellent Draymond is. And um, I think for the left tackle, for the left tackle position, you know, you, you pointed out his size, maybe against who he's going to be facing off with on the edge, but um, that mobility and that, that, you know, the reach is perhaps just as critical as size in that position. Exactly. Then in the interior, we sort of have a mess of options, just given that uh, it does not look like the center position is settled yet. It looks like um, Putnam has been the presumptive starting right guard. Uh, It's either Hunter Rayburn, Mason Trotter, or Matt Bockhorst at center. The fact that we can't tell you which guy is playing the most important position, the one that's going to be making the calls with a new quarterback under center, problematic, not ideal. Yeah, two and a half weeks into camp. Yeah, not ideal. Whichever one doesn't make it will be competing with, um, Lord forgive me for this pronunciation, but uh, Paul uh, Tashio, maybe? 
Um, I think it's Tio. Basically, Tio. you don't pronounce the C and the H. Okay, Paul Tio. That's easier. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's also there was some early writing that uh, freshman left tackle backup Marcus Tate was also showing out so well. He may actually be like in the in the scenario where Bachhorst does get the starting center position, it would be between Tate and Tio for that left guard position starting role. Um, which speaks, speaks highly of, of Marcus Tate. Um, yeah, Tate's came in at, by all accounts, at a high level. One thing that's important to note is whoever winds up starting at Georgia, the offensive line coach at Clemson, Robbie Caldwell, one of the older coaches, um, oldest coach on the staff, I think one of the older coaches at his position in the country, um, he's very much fond of cross-training his offensive linemen, which means moving them around various positions. So yep. these guys are going to be able to cover two or three positions in the event of an injury, as well as in an ideal world, Clemson's offensive line looks a little bit more like a playoff basketball rotation than most teams. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, um, I'm not saying you're going to be getting the 12th man out there routinely, especially not in games that matter, but, um, you got guys eating up minutes and finding the right combination of specialists. Exactly. And also just like fresh last year, they had five guys go over 750 snaps or something like that. And then the sixth man was at like 200 and it's, I was going to, yeah, I was going to ask you, like, does that set up for a situation where we see, I mean, I know that coaching staffs will do rotations. I guess I'm curious, like, let's say there's a scenario, let's say Bockhorst gets the starting role, Tate's your left guard, and then it's putting him at right guard. But they see a world where, let's say Mason Trotter, like, plays well at center, and you've got Bockhorst moved over to left guard. Like, in offenses that you've seen kind of have that sort of there's there's essentially a 1a 1b kind of starting five is it typical to see them rotate more like series to series or do you see a lot of that happen kind of play to play depending on the um the situation down the distance that kind of thing i have to imagine it's tough to run a couple of linemen on and off the field you know depending on what type of offensive success you're having on a given series I know Clemson isn't, um, we're not like super high tempo, but I would imagine that substitution intra drive is probably not that common. Um, Yeah. You would not want to be substituting mid drive. It would be, um, you know, TV timeouts, change of possession situations like that. Um, Right. In addition, in so many of the games we play, like the effective game time ends pretty effectively uh, you know, second, third quarter. So some of it is just having, you know, regular season inning eaters. Yep. That makes sense. So, and again, like we'll get into some of the matchups coming up and the Georgia game just looms large here for so many reasons. Um, after that game, then it does get into a little bit of a scenario where you probably assume Clemson's defense is going to overpower opposing offenses. Um, Regardless of line play up front, Clemson should probably be playing with a healthy lead. That's really where Dabo's attitude about getting guys a ton of playing time and experience and development comes into play. So um, I think 
that'll just be interesting to see like quarter to quarter, what do the snap counts start to look like for these different, you know, quintets you want to say for O-line guys. Um, Yeah. And I think it's going to be less rotating like hockey shifts and more like, Mm -hmm. you know, a guy moving over. Yeah. Yeah. One or two guys rotating around. I think they're going to use it much more to, the Georgia game is going to be different. My guess is that Bachhorst might get the start of the first Georgia game just because of experience, and they're going to be trying yeah. to run what they think their best day one offensive line is. Mm-hmm. It uh, After that, I think we're going to see a lot more rotation and experimentation because what your best offensive line, you know, before 12 games of experience is going to be extremely different than your best offensive line after 12 games of experience especially if the younger yep. guys come along, maybe you wind up flipping a guard in the center, but you're just, uh, you're hoping that you are able to find something a little bit better than what you were coming into the season with, as well as just hoping, you know, sort of that the amount of time that you give these guys to gel is going to reflect in being better able to execute. Because against Ohio State, it wasn't just that, uh, you know, they weren't able to push guys off the line on inside zone. It was whenever they tried to run counter, they, like, literally could not find the guys they were assigned to block. And was that more Ohio State doing confusing stuff with stunts or alignment or, like, odd alignment, that sort of thing? Or do you think it was, like, discombobulation between the ears up front for Clemson? It was a little bit of both, but um, Georgia is at least as capable of, as Ohio State and probably more so of doing those exact same things. Right. Yeah, that game film is probably not all you need for a Georgia offense or sorry, Georgia defensive coach to study. Um, but certainly that would make you want to reconsider stuffing too many counter plays into our play sheet for the first half of that Georgia game. Yeah, exactly. It, um, The other thing is sort of a way to attack a front like Georgia often runs against what Clemson does is to try to either run the ball outside or to try to run the ball off tackle, neither of which are super suited for inside zone. Power and counter might be able to make a little more sway, but, um, you know, that's about it. And just in terms of kind of what we can expect either from Georgia, like I'm just wondering from a Georgia defensive scheme standpoint, um, I know you, you just mentioned like outside or off, off tackle runs. Um, I'm curious if you're like, let's assume Tony Elliott's not going to go away from inside zone as our priority of the offensive game plan. What sort of wrinkles would you throw in if we don't see Kobe Pace or Lynn J Dixon uh, being that effective in say the first two series, like is that where you would try to? Um, I mean, it, you don't want to abandon the run that early, but is that where you might like pepper in quarterback runs, you know, by design? I think that's where you start making mixing in a combination of quarterback runs and, if possible, throw into the running back. Running backs are. Uh, you know, often covered by college linebackers and they're not necessarily the best at what they do. Right. I mean, I'm sure Georgia's linebacking core is well-recruited, talented, and able to make open field tackles, but 
you're gonna you're gonna get your two three yards through the air you know before they're able to do that so and that you know when, when you talk about what an effective run game looks like if that two to three yards can move into three to four yards because you've got slippery running backs um like will shipley yeah that could be that could be effective and then does exactly. that change how they it's, how they um, game plan the run it's hard from an efficiency standpoint when you are relying on sort of Ideally, your exceptional runs from your running back where they're making something out of nothing should not be something that you have to do just to get to an efficient run. That really fucks your math up in terms of just keeping the offense on schedule. Right. Yeah, because then you're talking about like 12 play drives to be able to do that um, or even longer, 12, 15 play drives um, when you're just chunking it off like that. So. Yeah, it's tricky. This is sort of a reason why it is going to be tough that Clemson gets Georgia in its first game by running out really a lot of new personnel in terms of, I know DJ did get in in two games last year, but he is a fresh starting quarterback. And in those games he played, essentially EJ Williams is going to be the only pass catcher that of note that played in those games. I know there was a little bit of Braden Galloway involved in that Notre Dame game, but Cornell Powell's gone. Uh, Mari Rogers is gone. So it's, yeah, it's tricky. Um, there's not necessarily that, that cohesion, but you know, two and a half, you know, fall camp here is going to be a decent stretch for them to connect and build on that. Um, exactly. I think it's, it's going to be a tricky game. Yeah. And you've got to hope um, that the amount of time DJ and the backup wide receivers spent together last year will matter at all. But I, um, the Georgia defense in particular with the amount of experience they return and with returning the two linemen that they return, you know, that's nearly 700, 650 pounds worth of problems for us to deal with at the absolute weakest unit, you know, that adds up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, that may, you might be influencing my call on the over under for this game Matt. you know, for, um, if this puts a little bit of a ceiling on, on Clemson's scoring potential, I don't, you're, you're not saying that Clemson can't have a breakout game on offense. I think it's just going to be, they got their work cut out for them up front and it's kind of put up or shut up time a little bit for the offensive line. I mean, they're just going to be, this is going to be the most challenging matchup of the year. And to be honest with you, Georgia may have the preeminent like interior part of the defense defensive line of any school in the country even even if we get it get to the playoff and match up against the best teams from some of the other conferences so um i think it's going to be it's going to be really telling i mean it, as a fan kind of watching this game if you do start to see clemson breaking some run plays open that's an incredibly good sign i feel like you know just from a results standpoint um but I, i'm just wondering like is, you know if you were to drop the scheme for tony elliott like what are one to two things that you'd plan to bake in overall um, to try to move the battle away from that, that aspect of their defense? So I guess you, yeah. I mean, one thing and it's less schematic and more just um, philosophical, I suppose the way that you are likely to beat Georgia, it's very hard to put together a consistent drive on this type of defense what you need to hope for and rely on in particular, if you're not going to be able to manufacture a consistent running game. And I'm 
leaning towards You're banking on that being the case. Yeah. I am leaning towards that at least being a strong possibility for big chunks of the game. I think if Clemson is going to be able to run the ball, they're going to be taking advantage of something schematically that can be closed off later. But Mm -hmm. um, if you're going to win this, you've got to rely on the big play. You've got to hope that you are able to, I mean, it's just, this is an amazing defense. You are not going to drive down the field and score on them with any regularity without this offense just does not have the cohesion to go up against that sort of thing in a stress test. There are too many new starters in too many important places for me to, or at least for me to think that this offense is going to win it without the defense and special teams adding some pretty serious, like there is the talent in place to do it, but um, there's just, this is not the time of year that I would want Clemson to face a team with anything resembling this sort of talent. Yeah. And when we talk about explosive plays, you know, the, the playmakers are clearly, clearly kind of know what we've got in that regard. It is just a matter of, okay, like Justin Ross playing the slot and certainly they can move the slot toward the outside passing game. And that'll hold up with what we know and expect from Clemson's offensive identity. Uh, But there is that, sort of middle part of the field from a passing aspect that you do wish DJ and Justin Ross both had some more time together. Um, and Justin Ross has had a limited camp due to COVID recovery. Um, but that is, he absolutely is kind of a one man, one man explosive play rate generator um, that you'd hope we could see unleashed in this game. Absolutely. Yes. Um, so I guess, I mean, what, let's talk a little bit about some of the, the superlatives and some of the bright spots for this offensive line last year and really the past couple of years an above average, even elite pass protection team, um, not top five necessarily, but certainly kept um, at least from a stats standpoint, kept havoc rates down um, in passing plays and, you know, kept Trevor Lawrence upright. You already made the comment earlier about that potentially being a quarterback factor. Um, but I'm, I'm sort of wondering, like, would you expect that aspect of the O-line for the most part to be consistent year to year? And at least, you know, in games where Clemson does need to, you know, move to the passing game, can we expect success? I think a lot of that is going to come down to things that we can't necessarily uh, know right now. It's not just is DJ a um, reliable player. It's... uh, yeah. It, what do we think we're going to be getting out of Ladson? What do we think we're going to be getting out of Nagata? What do we think we're going to be getting out of yada, yada, yada? Yep. Yep. Yeah, it's, it's just like not, we haven't seen it. They haven't proven yeah, exactly. it. exactly. And... We just literally have not uh, seen these things. And so it's extraordinarily difficult for us to be able to say with anything resembling certainty that Clemson's going to be able to get this passing game going. Now, right. do I think that Clemson is going to be able to uh, probably, um, do I think that Clemson is probably going to be able to move the ball eventually? Sure. Do I think that yes. Clemson is going to be able to move the ball by the time it comes to move the ball in Georgia? That's a little more interesting. Yeah. And is it a second half adjustment? And let's, Let's see what the scoreboard looks like by that point. Um, that'll be that'll be interesting. The way I would kind of talk about it is like this offense could be successful almost like 
in spite of the run blocking. And I think they could be successful because of the pass blocking. Exactly. And um, the ability to keep DJ hidden, to keep DJ set up, to, uh, you know, just keep everything running smoothly so that you can give a young still, I mean, despite the very serious amount of time he spent playing, you know, at pretty high levels, uh, he's still a young quarterback. You still do need to protect him. He still is going to perform better with, you know, just never being put in a situation in which he has to worry about, do I get someone in my face? Do I have a reason to panic? Yada, yada, yada. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I also feel like, and this is a little anecdotal, and this is definitely guys that have since moved on from the team like Jackson Carmen, but um, kind of letting plays unfold and develop and then laying the right block. I can't. I can't even quantify how many times Justin Carmen like was that guy did let the plan unfold, did spring that block that sprung ETN or uh, Trevor down the field, you know, and plays break down. And I think that, I mean, Jordan McFadden was on those lines and he himself was doing that. It's just going to be a matter of like he and DJ and he and Kobe Pace and he and Will Shipley or um, Lynn J. Dixon, you know, kind of getting that feel together. Um, it'll be important. Yeah, exactly. And also, um, I mean, one thing that is very beneficial for the Clemson offensive line, despite being smaller than years past, which I worry about with uh, if we continue doing the same thing as usual. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's going to be a much more athletic front than years past. They're going to be able to get to the second level. They're going to be able to get the safeties. They're going to be able to wall guys off. So I'm very curious what it's going to look like without the usual amount of just grind down and push down run blocking the usual size. It's a different look Clemson front than a lot of people are used, you know, used to seeing. Yeah. Let me ask you, this is kind of a off the wall question. Would the delayed mesh thing that freaks me the hell out when Wake Forest runs it, like knowing that we have an athletic front, knowing they're they could be effective in that second level like is that the kind of thing that if dj's up to the task you know if we've got the right right running backs like is that the kind of slow developing play that you'd like to see this team give a shot it just stresses me out watching wake do that i'm not it works for wake because it works for wake i don't think it yeah. is the best strategy for teams with um teams their options probably yeah, yeah, they're able to line up and do anything the conventional way. I just I don't think that that's anything that I really would want uh, this front to be getting involved with. Like it maybe it works as a change of pace and it definitely sets up some really deep RPOs. But uh, mm -hmm. to yeah. go all in on it is a lot. It also yeah, it feels like something you do to kind of set up a tight end seam seam play like a peel out. Um, versus be a core part of your offense. Um, all right. Well, uh, I feel like, you know, for the most part, we kind of covered, you know, the talent level, a little bit of expectations against Georgia. Um, Matt, I, I'm curious, as you look across like the, the whole season, this full Clemson team, um, knowing the vibes you've had in prior years and what Clemson's been able to do, how are you feeling about this team's regular season record? 
you know, who you think we might face off with in an ACC championship and what do you kind of see as the likely outcome for, uh, for the season and, you know, across college football, do you think Clemson's in that playoff? Who might they match up against? I, I think that we have a pretty good matchup against Oklahoma. I think we have a better matchup against Ohio State than last year without the same defensive line talent. I'm not sure what to make of Alabama. and um, You've got more I, question marks than we do. Yeah, and Georgia worries me. Um, Georgia right. worries long term, so it's hard to know. Yeah. Um, are you thinking like 11-1, and 12-0, though, regular season? Most yeah, likely. I think, I think yeah. it's going to be very hard to lose more than two games unless something goes catastrophically wrong from a COVID standpoint. Right. Yeah. It's, and again, it, it's like injury or COVID on that front. Um, Clemson could lose to Georgia. We've established that. There could be freak stuff happening day in, day out. But um, it, it'd be tough for Clemson to make the playoff with two losses, just knowing we, if we do lose to Georgia, we won't have a marquee win. And that's like, certainly we could face off against like an undefeated North Carolina. Who's like a top five team in the at, coming out of the coastal. But I think, I think there is really limited margin for error. I don't think the season's over if we lose to Georgia though, unless they, even if they kick our ass, just because Georgia no, I, is going to be right there as a, as a top team, you know? No, I think if we lose a game one game and then turn things around in if we turn things around enough to make and win the ACC title, I just have a hard time seeing things break negatively. Yeah. Really the only way that is if there's just four clear undefeated conference champs who have much, much more marquee wins than we do. Like maybe we, maybe we get left out, but I'm not seeing that. They're all going to lose. Yeah, exactly. Since when has that happened? <laughs> exactly. Um, I mean, it, do you think this team's got what it takes to win a natty this year? I mean, I, I know you kind of rattled off some of the matchups you like, but um, sounds like we've got a fighter's chance against each of those teams. It, hate yeah. to say it. I mean, I kind of think the O-line will dictate like that, that outcome. O-line and safety play would be it for me. Mm-hmm. I mean, both of those things, I would say O-line against LSU was less the issue and more so the secondary. And honestly, the, the defensive line in that game was hobbled on Clemson's side, and that did play a role. Uh, but yeah, the secondary definitely cost us there. And um, those things definitely cost Clemson against Ohio State here. So um, that's consistent. We're used to that. I do think help is on the way in recruiting um, based on what Quacking Tiger tells me. So, you know. Yeah, I mean, there have been some four and five star recruits coming in. Yeah, it's like the cupboards are full right now. Like, it's not even like we got to wait three, four years for like O line talent and those five stars no, to like it's start. Really, to... just like one or two to see how exactly. It's so, what's nice about that is just like we're in the middle of an extended run, and I, I see it continuing, which is great. Um, maybe keeping it with the O line. One question I wanted to ask you is: you you referenced kind of Robbie Caldwell's veteran stature. Um, at what point or kind of if you had to name a year that you imagined um, Clemson could move on um, and we already have the next coach in waiting on the staff, um, you know, former Clemson player played under Dabo. Um, I guess like what timeline would you predict that that move would be made? I know it's probably going to just be dependent on Robbie Caldwell's 
desire to keep coaching, but what do you think? Like one or two more years or a little bit longer than that? It's going to depend on when he wants to retire. I would imagine. Yeah. I would imagine it's going to depend almost entirely on if he wants to retire or when he wants to retire. He's just, he's done too much. He's offensive line coaches are extraordinarily highly valued. Um, He's the highest paid assistant coach besides. uh, Venables. Yeah. The highest. uh, No, besides the offensive line coaches too. It's um, it's something absurd. Like, oh, right. Or um, besides right, right. the offensive coordinator, I mean. Yeah, yeah, it, exactly. Um, it, it's some absurd thing. It uh, like he's clearly highly valued. He's clearly hard to replace. I um, I don't think they're gonna really try to do anything until they get you know until they have to. Mm-hmm. Makes sense, and you know we don't know behind the scenes like what role Thomas Austin is playing in some of the coaching and you know, introducing, evolving a little bit, the scheme, like he could be playing a, a pretty big role already. So I think it's, it's perhaps a little bit less, like when do we see Robbie Caldwell move on and what do we see coming out of this offensive line and what the offense feels comfortable calling and how successful they are. So um, I feel good that we got another year of Thomas Austin in the system here. He came over from Georgia state and they beat Tennessee, which was fun. So um yeah, I mean the future's bright in the on the on the O line department. It's like let's just hope that we can have a, a leap forward this year in a few of these aspects. And I don't care if we beat Georgia by one point. Like, let's yeah, make it happen. I don't care program. if it's a six to three game either. I'm fine with that. Yeah, it's not about overall program health. It's about can we line it up for this year with this program when we have so many other things going for us. Right. Definitely. Um, well, thank you, Matt. Always good to catch up, I guess. Good to talk. Uh, yeah. Any, anything else you've got coming out? I I do want to encourage folks to make it over to shake in the Southland and check out Matt's offensive line preview. He goes into Um, a little bit more depth into some stats um, from last year and what to expect this year. So definitely check that out. But what else are you working on? Uh, right now we're just working on, uh, getting the Georgia previews put away Mm -hmm. and that's really about it. Cool. Yeah. Clearly focus on that game. It's going to be a battle down there in Charlotte. Um, definitely have to get you back on the show, probably with John and Alex at some point. So um, everyone stay tuned for that, but big shout out to Matt. Matt, where, where can people find you on Twitter? DBBM52. I am very sorry for the content. <laughs> Good disclaimer. Um, but you do post football stuff there from time exactly, to time, yeah. which is great which is great. Um, Cool. Well, thank you to Matt. Um, Thank you everyone for tuning in. We're really excited to continue this series. We're going to get coach Calvin Kraft on talk about um, other aspects of this team. I believe he's got the receiver preview locked down, very important position as was this offensive line. Um, And I think we'll flip it over to the defensive side of the football for a few more previews uh, before we, we, the podcast get back together and start putting out some shows of our own here soon. So um, thank you everyone for tuning in. Hope you guys are enjoying this, this preview series. Um, Please make it over to Shake in the Southland, check out their articles. A lot of good content. Those guys work really hard um, to keep us informed and make this football thing really fun. So uh, thanks as always for tuning into the podcast. You guys know where to find us. Um, Really looking forward to this. We've got, you know, less than two weeks away till um, 
till the game here. And honestly, only a few more days until there's actually football on Matt real quick, Illinois, you live in Illinois, yes, you know, about Illinois. What, what's your Bielema prediction for how that situation plays out overall? Illinois is cursed. <laughs> Illinois is just cursed. It's um, trying to be Wisconsin in a state without Wisconsin's football culture does not seem like a good long-term idea either. It seems like they should more so try to do what Northwestern has done. Like that seems like more of the path for them. Yeah, they, they got to get their they got to get their coach, you know. And I think if Bielema shows any success, he's going to get out of there. Yeah, I agree with that. Well, that was a quick aside, um, but the Illini play Nebraska. I believe that's the first college football game of the season this Saturday, so that'll be really interesting. Um, but yeah, super excited. This is back. I can't believe it. Um, thanks everyone for tuning in and as always go Tigers, go Tigers.